All right, people, let's go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm going to give you one shot this morning. How are you? Hey, love it. Good to hear from you. That was, that was crazy loud. My goodness. You guys, uh, man, first service has nothing on you, that's for sure. All right, well, hey, uh, if you want to, you can turn to John 15. We're going to be spending some time there today if you brought your Bibles. Uh, we'll get there in a second. We're not going to start there. Um, if you're joining us, welcome. My name is Jake. Um, I am a pastor here, and uh, we're in the middle of this series, uh, kind of a, something we're calling felt needs. And I'll give you the little idea, the little thought process behind this. Here's the whole, whole premise. We have basic needs, all of us. We kind of intuitively know that. We kind of understand it instinctively. We have basic needs of, you know, to water to drink, food to eat, shelter in which to survive. We know these things. We get these things. Even Maslow, with his hierarchy of needs, helped us to understand that we have needs that we need to, that we need to address. But there are other needs that aren't talked about or aren't as common sense that we don't always address and, and sometimes can often go unmet, but they're just as essential. In fact, they might even be more essential because they truly drive our decisions. They, they affect our emotions and how we feel throughout the day. They're embedded and hardwired into our DNA. And so what we did is we're three weeks into this. This is the third week. The first week, we talked about this felt need to be known. And how each and every one of us, whether we say it or acknowledge it, we all have a desire to be known. And I don't just mean like facts. I know your hair color or what your favorite preferred coffee drink is. It's that somebody would truly know you and get you and understand us. There's a need for that. And we talked about the fact that no human can ever fill that void. That's, that's only because God made you and Jesus is the only one who can fully and truly know you. And so that was two weeks ago. Last week, Bob talked about our felt need to belong, that we would, uh, that we uh, have this need that we would belong to something. And in fact, we don't feel, and the felt need is that we kind of often don't feel like we're in the right place or that we need to get to the right place or we don't feel like we belong somewhere because the truth is we don't belong in the state that we're in. We don't belong on this planet in the condition, in this fallen nature that it is. We belong with Jesus. And apart from him, we're going to feel this longing, this need to belong. And one day when we walk into heaven and all things are right, we will feel like we absolutely belong. But until then, we truly belong with him in relationship and with our family, which is the family of God. So today we're going to be talking about the felt need. This is where we're landing today. The felt need to succeed. We all have a need to succeed. Maverick and Goose, they may have a need for speed. But we have and they have a need to succeed. I have never met, never talked to anybody who's ever woken up in the morning and said, oh my gosh, it's going to be a great day. I can't wait to get out there and fail, right? Nobody says that. Nobody says, well, life's going too well. I just, I hope I stumble and fall and fall flat on my face. Nobody talks about that because we all desire to succeed in some way. And this starts when we're young. It really does. It's when we're a little kid, we see this. If you're a parent and your kid has ever come up to you and said, hey, mommy, watch me. Or you're a dad and you're like, hey, daddy, watch me. And you, they just want to show you what they can do and that they're good at something. We went to the Puyallup Fair on Monday and uh, with my family, we went and we took our son and my daughter and my, my mom came with us and my wife and we were there and it was raining and there was hardly anybody there. And I had to put my son on that, that motorcycle ride. You know what I'm talking about? The one with the horns and all the sparkly bikes that go in a circle that's 
always at the fair that's been there since I don't know when, but it's been there for a long time. And I was going to put Percy on that. And by the way, it cost five bucks to put him on that thing. Five bucks. It's crazy. But I put him on there because I needed to. He needed to accomplish this. But when we were going to put him on there, I realized as a parent, you can't ride it with them, which would be awkward if I was riding it with them. So we had to let him go, but he was super nervous and he didn't want to do it. And he was a little fussy, but we just sat him on there and say, you stay here. And he looked so scared as he held that little handle, right? And he's just holding it super tight. And the thing starts to go around and his eyes were full of fear. And he goes around. He's like the only one on the ride. And he goes all the way around and he gets around to the side. And when we see him, we all start cheering, like, Woo, go, Percy! Woo! And in his face, you saw this. This is his smile right here of coming around the corner. So proud that he has succeeded, that he is riding a motorcycle. And he's like, Hey, mom, daddy, look, it was unbelievable. And so at a young age, we have this embedded desire to succeed, right? And maybe succeed isn't the word that you like. Uh, we have an embedded desire to be significant or to do something significant or make a significant difference on this planet. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about what does it mean to succeed. So let's start first by defining what success is, and maybe even start first by defining what success is not. Let's start there. Um, when I was in elementary school, I played a bunch of sports. One of them I played was basketball. I'm going to confess to you, I was not that great at basketball, but it was super fun. Um, back in those days when you're in elementary school, you know how basketball is played, right? It's a bunch of little kids that run over, they take the ball and they go in a clump and they try to throw the ball into the hoop and try to make it. And then the ball bounces out, gets in, maybe, hardly ever. The, like the end scores of some of those games is like 16 to 10, you know? So you only made like two baskets the whole game. But they're going back and forth. And I remember doing that and I don't remember any other game, any other basketball game that I played. I remember my soccer games. I remember my wrestling matches. I remember tennis matches. I remember all those things, but I do not remember. I only remember this one game, and it was because of a kid named Shane Ray. And Shane Ray, um, he wasn't that great of a basketball player. In fact, he had never made a basket in a game before, and I only know that because he would talk about that. And so right after half, you switch sides, and Shane goes in right? He's in the game. And for some reason, he grabbed the rebound. He got it. And we're all thinking, as you know, you get the rebound, you're going to head to the other side of the court. So we all go. I go. The rest of my team goes. The other team goes, but not Shane. Shane stayed there and in his excitement, put the ball back up and starts shooting at the wrong basket, right? This is the basket that we just, we're playing defense. We're supposed to go down the court. He's shooting at this one with all of his gusto. Now, the good thing for us is Shane was terrible, all right? Absolutely terrible. Couldn't make it. He's shooting, he's shooting. And we finally realize when we're on the other side of the court that the ball is back there. And Shane is shooting at the wrong hoop. So we, as kids, start yelling at him, saying, Shane, stop! You gotta stop! And the parents are yelling at Shane, like, stop! You gotta stop! And the other team's like, go, Shane, go! <laughs> right? And he's shooting at the wrong hoop, and he shot it, and he missed it, and he shot it, and he missed it, and he shot it, and he missed it, and eventually, right when we're about ready to get back and get his rebound, he shot it, and he made it. And he was like, yes! so excited to give the other team two points. 
It was crazy, and I've never forgot that. It's my only basketball memory that I have was Shane shooting at the wrong basket. And I think oftentimes when it comes to the success and us reaching success of what it looks like in the Christian world and in, in, in the world with Jesus, we're often shooting at the wrong basket. We think we're shooting in the right basket, but oftentimes we're shooting in the wrong basket. So here are some things that success is not. Let's start there. Success is not found in how we look. It is not found in how we look or how we appear. The Bible says this in 1 Samuel. It says, God does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He looks on the inside. He looks at what is the real makings of who we are. He's looking at what we have and who we are versus just our exterior. This is a picture of me in high school, right? You can probably recognize me. I'm the one on the left right there. There's a couple of weird things about that picture. One is I was voted best dressed in high school. And you're probably thinking, oh, Jake, we obviously knew that, right? Everything has gone downhill since then, as you could tell. My wife dresses me at this point. And the picture is disturbing in a lot of ways. One is because there is an actual, like, phone in the background that you could pick up. <laughs> Is, is disturbing. The other part is how they spell dress. I don't know if you know that. Best dressed. Got an extra S in there. And the other part is that I'm in that picture for best dressed. Um, I should never be. I'm not. I mean, back then, I cared a whole lot about how I appeared and the style and whatnot. Now, obviously, as you could tell, I don't really give a rip. And my wife, like I said, dresses me. But it's not in the outward appearance. And we make such a big deal about this, especially in our culture. In fact, I think sometimes we spend so much time working on appearing successful than actually being successful or really making a significant impact in this world. Just so that we look like we're doing good. You look at social media and, you know, the pictures that we post are always our best ones, right? We'll take like 14 pictures and then we'll go through all 14 like, oh, no, my face is looking weird in that one. Nope, nope, I'm kind of making, a, oh, my eyes are not good. Oh, my butt's looking good there. All right, so put it in there. And then we post those things so everybody would see our best side. We want to have this appearance like we are successful. But that is not what success truly is. If we're shooting for that, we're shooting at the wrong basket. Another thing that success is not is that it's not found in what we have. So what we can acquire, wealth, finances, things of that nature. Here is Howard Hughes. Some of you may know who he is. He's a little before my time, 1940s, 1950s. He was the richest man in the world. Uh, he had everything. He had wealth. He had fame. He, had, he was an aviator. They even made a movie after this guy. And so uh, he had everything that you could possibly fathom, and yet he could not find satisfaction, right? He could not be settled. He had a lot of other issues, too. In fact, he died of malnutrition. The richest man in the world died of malnutrition. It's crazy to think when you have it all, and he's appeared to be successful. You guys all know Steve Jobs, right? This man often is quoted as being the, def the definition of what success is. And in 2007, he introduced the iPhone, the pinnacle of his career. And after that, he started having some health problems and things started to go downhill and obviously cancer jumped in. And if you've read anything about him in his last few years or his last few months, all the regret that he had about how he lived his life and what he valued as important, how he didn't spend time with his family and it was all about what he could achieve and he couldn't take any of that with him. 
And so it's not about what you have. This is one very recent. Robin Williams, in my lifetime, considered to be, for me, one of the best comedians, probably one of the most talented human beings on the planet. And for decades, he was at the top of his class as what it means to be a comedian. And yet, we all know in 2014 that, you know, Robin took his life because he was unsatisfied. He had everything. All three of these guys had everything. And yet, they didn't, I mean, this would be the definition of what world calls success, would be these individuals. And yet, they didn't feel significant. They didn't feel successful. Jesus said this. He said this in Mark 8. He said, what does it benefit a man, or what does it profit a man, to gain the whole world and lose your soul? He says it benefits us nothing. I mean, we gain nothing from that. And yeah, we're not out there. I don't know many of you that are out there and like, oh, I just want to be the wealthiest person on the planet. But we do play the win-then game a lot, don't we? With the win-then game is the game of, well, when I have this, then I will be happy. Or when I finally acquire this one thing, then I will be satisfied. Then I'll be successful. When I have that job or when I have that car or when I have that, that, that situation or when I have this, this circumstance, then I will be happy. Then it will all be, and then I will be successful and I will be satisfied. And Solomon talks about this. And Solomon in his time was the, not only the richest man in the world, but he was considered to be the wisest man in the world. And here's what he says about wealth and about acquiring things. He says, whoever loves money will never be satisfied with money. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with more income or, or just what we can buy with more income. Even this is pointless. Friends, success is not in what we can acquire. And if we are shooting for that and it's not found in what we have, then we're shooting in the wrong hoop, in the wrong basket. Another one is this, is success is not found in who we know, right? How many of you have heard that saying, it's not what you know, but it's who you know? Yeah, it's not true. And it's, success is not found in how many people know you as well. And fame, fame is fleeting. It's there for a second. That's why they call it 15 minutes of fame. You have it for a very short time, and then it's gone. Even if you're the most famous person in the world, after your lifetime, it's a rarity that people will even remember you. And yet we search to be known, to be famous, to have people know us, a lot of people, as much as possible. We'll play a little game here. I don't know if you guys have a, I'm going to do this. I have a gift card here, and I'm going to play a song about a band in 2000 who was at the top of their class. If you can name the band, truly, if you can name this band like that, um, then you get this gift card, okay? So here you are. This is song 2000s. Go for it. Who let the dogs out? Go ahead, I'm ready. Right there, right there. There you go. How many knew that? Raise their hand. Exactly. All right, dude, Jeremy, good job. I have a gift card to you, for you uh, for Baja Fresh, for uh, the Baja men. Seriously, you guys, in... 2000, I don't know if you were, I mean, some of you were around then. I, I, was in, I was in 
college at that time, these guys were huge. And I mean huge, huge, huge. They were the top of the billboards. They won Grammys. They were like all over MTV. Their name was all, it was like internationally known. And now when you hear the song, Who Let the Dogs Out? Nobody has a clue who you're actually talking about. Nobody knows the artist. Fame is completely fleeting. And, and, and it's, it's just, it's there one minute and then it's gone the next. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about it. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing, this sentence is crazy. If pleasing people were my goal, I wouldn't, I would not be Christ's servant. That's a huge deal right there. That there's a conflict in that. And that sometimes people pleasing can be a stumbling block for us. I'm going to shoot real straight with you for the last couple months, this has been a stumbling block for me. Uh, As the church has gotten started, as it started to go, I even mentioned this a little while ago in a service, that this whole attendance thing and people coming or not coming or whatnot, I've been wrestling with that. And I wish I was wrestling with it for the right reasons. I wish I was wrestling with it because it means more souls coming to Christ. The fact is, if I'm being super straight in my own wrestlings with God, I've been more concerned about people coming to this church for how I look in that process. And I didn't realize that this was actually a thing for senior pastors. I've talked to a handful of senior pastors in the last couple of months. All of them have told me that they wrestle with this and that when you go to a senior pastor's conference, this is almost always talked about. This is almost like they have a whole section on this, on how do you deal with not um, gaining your self-worth off of how the church is doing right? Or do it going good or going well. And for me, this has been a struggle because I'm sitting here focusing, I'm being straightforward with you, focusing on who God is not bringing to the church when I should be focusing on who God has brought to the church. And so that's just a wrestling match that I've had that truly struggling with people pleasing. And I know that that is, uh, you know, it's stupid. But yet, this is my deal. I mean, as silly as it is, I know that we all struggle with people pleasing to a point. You know what I mean? where we want to be viewed well in other people's eyes. We want to be popular. We want to be seen as successful. But check out what Francis Chan said. This is huge. He's a pastor, a great pastor. Here's what he said. He said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. That's huge because when we succeed at things in life that don't really matter, it takes up the time that we could be spending on things that really do matter. And so when it comes to success, success is not found in who we know or how many people know us. If we're doing that, it's shooting at the wrong hoop. And so let's talk about what success is, okay? Let's talk about what it is, not just what it's not, but what it is. And, it's, and this is the basic answer. This is your church answer. But here it is because it's so true, is that true success, eternal success, is found through Jesus. Nobody else, no other name on this planet, no other name in the universe, success is found through Jesus first and foremost. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians. Says, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory, and victory is success 
through, this is how, our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That is success. How? Through him who loves us. Here's the famous one that we've all talked about. Philippians 4.13, often quoted out of context. I can do all things. <laughs> I can be super successful through him who strengthens me. John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, which that is the ultimate success right there, coming to the Father, except through me. Success is found through a person, and that person is Jesus. And so let's talk about that. Let's break that down a little bit into a couple parts or a couple roles of what success looks like for us. I tried to narrow it down. I didn't get fancy in anything. I just literally put it to its core elements. We have a role. God has a role. The first role is this, Jesus's role. He achieved. Jesus achieved, and our role in success is that we would abide. He succeeded, he achieved, and we are to abide. And so I want to break those down. I want to talk about how he achieved and then how we abide um, through this process. So let's start with he, his achievement. And this is huge. And if you want to write something down, this might be the best thing that you could write down in the whole entire time. It's this. Our success my success, your success, when all is said and done, when the, when the universe is over, when everything is said and done, our success will not be measured by our accomplishments, but by his achievement. And no matter what you do, you will not be measured by that for your success. Our success, eternally speaking, will be measured by what Jesus has already achieved, his accomplishments. I've had this lifelong question and I know I'm not alone in this. I ask this all the time. Do I have what it takes, right? Do I have what it takes? And eternally speaking, the answer to that is no. Straight up, no. As much as I would like to have what it takes, and I want to be that guy that just pushes through, I do not have what it takes. Jesus is the only one, eternally speaking, who has been successful, who will be successful. Our simple role, catch this, is that we just need to jump on his team, right? We need to ride his coattails of success. And the cool part about that is he invites us along along the way. So here's the truth. And you can lean in on this. Don't miss this one. If you know Jesus, okay, if you have a relationship with him, if you call him Lord, if you call him Savior, if you've committed your life to him, if you want to follow him from this point forward, if you know him, you are already successful. Hear that? No matter how you feel in this moment, if you know Jesus, you already are successful. That should be so encouraging, shouldn't it? That we are, I mean, we are successful simply by who we know. I guess it is based all into who you know, if that person is Jesus, right? So be encouraged. His success is our success. What he does great and what he's done great, his achievements are our achievements because he invites us into his family. John 1, or 1 John 5 highlights this truth. Here's what it says. It says, everyone born of God, so that's everybody that's born again or everybody that believes in Jesus or everybody that knows him. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Period right there. If we stopped right there, that's kind of the definition of success, don't you think? Overcoming the world, done. And it's not, it's right. Everyone who's born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? 
catch this, that you'd think, oh, it's going to be Jesus, right? Well, catch this. No, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Because Jesus has overcome the world and we ride his coattails, we have overcome the world. We are successful through him. Success is through Jesus. In the 1990s, if you wanted to win an NBA championship, there was one team that you needed to be on, only one. And you only needed to have one player on that team if you wanted to win an NBA championship. His name was Michael Jordan, right? And you could be all for Kobe and for Shaq and everybody else who's out there, okay? But this is the man, the greatest basketball player of all time that I have ever seen. I get it if you're into Larry and if you're into Bird and if you're into like, you know, magic and whatnot. But come on, Jordan, at his time, nobody was better. And so here's the deal. If you wanted to win, you simply needed to be on Michael's team. That's it. If you could get on Michael's team, you are going to have a ring. You're going to have an NBA championship. You could sit on the bench, right? Or you could go into the game and they give you the ball. All you have to do is get the ball to Michael. That's it. And he will take the ball and he will do magical things in the air that only Michael can do. I mean, catch this, you guys. He won three championships in a row, three years in a row. And then he took a break to play baseball, which was a big mistake. And then he goes back, and guess how many championships he wins? Three more. All you have to do is be on Michael's team. And it's the same thing with God. It's the same thing with Jesus. If you want to be successful, eternally speaking, then you need to be on Jesus' team. You need to line up with him, right? You're going to ride his coattails. You get on his team, you're not only shooting with the right basket, you are actually shooting with the guy who never misses a basket, And that's the big important thing is that his success is our success. So it's not in what we have done. Catch that. It is in what he has already achieved. And we just get to jump on board with that. And what's cool is he invites us along. That's the great part. Now here's what he asks us to do, right? He asks us to abide. He's achieved, we abide. John 15, it's that passage we're going to spend some time in. Here's what it is. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, which is like the cosmic gardener, if you will. Every branch in me um, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So what he's talking about here is he's talking about judgment day. He's talking about the day when he will have the nations before him and he will divide the people up like the sheep and the goats, those who will be eternally with him for eternity and those who will be eternally separated from him. It's judgment day. So he's saying, if you do not bear fruit, then he will take it away, okay? And, and, on, and then every branch, so next verse, and every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes. So if there's a branch out there that is doing well, He's going to prune it. One that are with him, he's going to prune it. This is called the process of sanctification. This is the process that we all go through if you're a Christian, if you're following him, in growing to become more like Christ. And pruning is just like it sounds. It can be painful. He's growing us in the direction where he wants us to go. He's clipping us and molding us to be more like him. Why would he do that? Here's what he says. This is his purpose. He prunes that it or that us may bear more fruit. And we'll talk about fruit in just a second. Verse three, already you are clean because of the word that has been spoken to you. And then now here it is. Abide in me. Jesus is saying, abide in me and I in you. Abide. 
Now that verse is very similar to one that I read two weeks ago where I talked about draw near to me and I will draw near unto you. Jesus said that. And here he says abide in me and I will abide in you. Verse number four. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Catch that. So if a branch is separated from the tree and it falls down, it cannot bear fruit, right? It's done. It's dying. And so we must abide in the vine. So it says, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. So let's talk about the word abide. What does that mean? It's a very powerful word. It's a very special word. It literally means to remain or to remain in Christ, to rest in his success. It's the faith that you have in him, to be still and know that he is God. That's what it means to abide. I'm going to remain in the knowledge, in the truth that Jesus is with me and that because of what he's done, I can have success. So here, what Jesus is saying specifically when it comes to trying hard, like, right, when it comes to trying hard, you don't see an apple tree, right? If you're a branch of an apple tree, you've never walked by a branch of an apple tree that's sitting out there and going like, apple, right? You don't see that. A pear tree like, pear, got a pear. You don't see a branch struggling like that. All a branch has to do is what? Be connected to the tree. And if it's connected to the tree, it will naturally bear fruit. If a branch abides in a tree, it remains in the tree. It resides in the tree. It's part of the tree. And yet, we don't have, it doesn't have to overtry to produce fruit. We don't have to overtry to produce fruit. We don't have to overtry to be successful because we're already successful through Jesus. Now, I know how confusing this is. Because pastors like me, and me included, always speak out of both sides of their mouth, right? Where on one side, we're saying, you just need to abide in God. You know, just rest in him and remain in him. Oh, but by the way, I do want you to do some things, right? So it's this whole idea between faith and belief and this idea of works and fruit and whatnot. And I get that it's so confusing. And I was having this conversation with Garrett in my office as this earlier this week. And he told me about this clip. And I've never seen this movie. I don't know anything about it. But this clip, when he showed it to me, I'm like, dude, that is so perfect for how messed up we are as preachers and how we communicate to the church. And so you got to watch this about the, the struggle between abiding and, and, and doing. So watch this right here. It's about surfing. Okay, when we're out there, I want you to ignore your instincts. I'm going to be your instincts. Kunu will be your instincts. Don't do anything. Don't try to surf. Don't do it. The less you do, the more you do. Let's see it pop up. Pop it up. That's not it at all. Do less. Get down. Try less. Do it again. Pop up. Nope. Too slow. Do less. Pop up. Pop up. Too, you're doing too much. Do less. Pop down. Pop up now. Stop. Get down. Get down there. Remember, don't do anything. Nothing. Pop up. Well, you, no, you gotta do more than that because you're just laying, you, right out, looks like you're boogie boarding. Just do it, feel it, pop up. Yeah, that wasn't quite it, but we're gonna figure it out out there. Let's go surfing, come on. Everybody's learning how. Come on, uh, the weather outside is weather. <laughs> 
Yeah, Garrett said we shouldn't promote that movie, uh, but I think that clip is amazing. So it's truly here, uh, this, this tension between what do I do, what do I don't do? What's belief and what's actually doing? Here's how it works. Here's how abiding works. Abiding is the start. It is the posture of your heart, right? It is the believing. It is the faith portion of that thing. It's having faith that who Christ says he is is actually who he is. Believing in him, that's abiding. Spending time in his presence. Resting in that truth. And when we do that, and these are, these are sequential, when we do that, we will naturally bear fruit. When we truly abide, we will have a response, a reaction that will result in fruit. We will naturally have a desire when we recognize from abiding just how much he loves us, a desire to love him back. And one of the things that Jesus says is he says, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will feed my sheep. And so when we spend time abiding, we figure that out and we spend time in him. And from that, a natural result, just like naturally a tree produces a a fruit or an apple tree produces an apple, we will naturally produce fruit as well. And here's the thing about fruit. Fruit is the evidence of our time abiding in him. Does that make sense? So we, we all go after to produce this fruit so we could show everybody the fruit that we produced and look at how great I am in that. That's not the deal. Fruit is just simply the evidence of abiding in him. Abiding in him is true success. That's what's successful. Jumping on board with what Christ has already done for us, believing in that. As a result, you know you've done that by the evidence of the fruit inside of your life. Christ promises this. The next verse, verse five, he talks about this truth. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then here's the truth. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And you would think, well, wait, apart from Christ, I know a lot of people who are apart from Christ that are doing lots of things. But are they being successful on an eternal level? Are they? It's a struggle. And even the success that they're having, catch this, Christ is allowing them to have that because who gives us our breath? Every breath you take, every heartbeat that you have is a gift from God that he is handing to you. To do what? For us to finally get it right and to glorify him, to abide in him. And so truly, we can do nothing, nothing, anything that we do, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of like, you know, Robin Williams. I'm thinking of Howard Hughes. I'm thinking of, you know, Steve Jobs. Everything they've done, I know, and I don't know where they're at eternally in their faith or where they were, but everything that they've done on this earth that's about this earth is not going to last. If we're going to be about anything, we should be about the Father's business, and those are things that last for eternity. And the way we're about those is to abide in Christ. That is the starting point. That is where we have to start. A successful apple tree produces apples. A successful disciple produces fruit as well. In fact, in a way, they even produce other disciples. And the fruit we're talking about here, as you may have learned in Sunday school, is not apples and oranges. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, those are the things. In a nutshell, What they produce in us, what they naturally produce is that we would look more like Christ. That we would look more like him. That is what sanctification is. 
And so let's end our time, let's conclude our time talking about the question or the disconnect. I get that, Jake, but why don't I feel successful? Why don't I feel, like it, that you said, if I know God, then I am already successful. If I have a relationship with Jesus, then I'm already successful. Why don't I feel that? Here's my one very pastoral, loving answer. Maybe, just maybe, you're not abiding in him. You're not spending that time resting in that knowledge. Maybe what you say you believe and what you truly believe are two different things. I don't know. But I do know this, is I know that if we want to truly feel that, we need to spend time connecting to the one who gives that. We need to abide in that truth. Abide in him. And again, that's just, that's learning about him. That's worshiping him. That's spending time in his presence. It's resting in the fact that he is who he says he is and riding his coattails into success. Because when all is said and done and eternity is over, it will be what Christ has done and whether or not we actually knew Christ in that process. It is true, please hear me. If you know Jesus, you are already successful. If you have a relationship with him, you are already successful. You truly are. If you wanna feel that, my suggestion will be to abide in that truth to spend time contemplating it and meditating on that. For me, I want to be successful. I truly do. I want to be successful in this church. Not so that we can build a church and go look at what a great job Jake has done. I don't want that. I truly don't. That's why I've been wrestling with it for a little bit. What I want is I want to be faithful to the call that Jesus has given me and was simply to go and plant and to lead a church. And so that's what I'm trying to do. I want to be faithful in that. I want to be successful in that. I want to be successful in my relationships with my family. I don't want to get to the end of the time and then have my kids tell me, you love the church more than you loved me. I want my kids to know that I love them first and foremost, and my bride knows that I've been faithful and I care about her and I love her dearly and I'm her partner in life. I want that. That is success to me. I want to be successful by introducing people to the heaven that they haven't actually known about. People that don't know about heaven and that heaven would be populated because of, or more people would be there because God used me in order to do it. I want that for you too. I want that success. I have truly prayed for you. I have prayed that God would give you success in your families and in your relationship with your kids, if you have them, with your spouse, if you have them. You know, I've prayed for that. I've prayed that God would, you know, be successful in the impact that you have for eternity that he would use you in gospel conversations and strategic friendships with different people that, that he may be glorified. Not that we would produce fruit so that we could have a big fruit salad, right? And look at what we've done and let's partake. No, but we could literally look at the fruit and go, look how great God is. That's why we want to do this because in, at the end of the day, that fruit means people will know Jesus and Jesus will be glorified all the more. Friends, it is not what we can achieve. It is what he has already achieved. He's done it all. Again, we just got to jump on board. We need to abide in him, rest in him. We got to jump on his coattails. Like Michael Jordan in the 1990s, we just got to get on Jesus's team. And if you're on Jesus's team, you've already run a, won a championship. You are truly shooting at the right hoop because Jesus and Jesus alone is the way to success. He is successful. And if he is successful, his success is our success. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.